Mailbag part two. Answering your questions from Twitter. We got questions on the Pacers chemistry. Jarris Walker's role could look a little like Sabonis's. Tyrese Halburn's next steps, Buddy Heald's market, and more. And we'll get to all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today it's Mailbag Part 2 to get rolling through August. We're through all the free agency and off-season topics for now. Pre-season preview stuff will come later in the off-season. For now, it's fun time to dig into some fun topics, and a mailbag is the absolute perfect time to do that. Love hearing about what listeners want to know about. So we'll get into a ton of stuff today. Buddy Heald's market in general. I'll talk trade and free agency there. Tyrese Halberton's next steps. What Jarris Walker could be used like chemistry stuff. There's a lot of interesting stuff to get into. Part one was yesterday. If you want more details on All-Star Weekend, uh, ownership stuff, uh, other stuff about Halberton's development, prove it years for guys. We got to all that yesterday. And next Monday, Oscar Shibway is going to join us here on the Lockdown Pacers podcast. So some fun stuff Going on and coming here, we will jump right in today with a question from Zach at Zach Aldridge 317 who says, Do you think we'll see some Sabonis elbow handoff actions return with Walker at that spot, or how do you think they try to maximize him offensively a lot of time as a PNR big man, I'd imagine? I agree with the last statement there, the PNR big man part. It's really interesting, and if you listen to the show pre-draft, a lot of you did, um, something I talked about a lot with Walker and part of why I was higher on most other people with him uh, is that passing element. Not that he was like this outstanding, amazing passer. He only averaged 1.8 assists per game with Houston, although his assist percentage was higher. Like of his team's passes, he was making productive ones. But, but you could see the flashes of playmaking. Like he'd get into the paint and he'd make a nice dump off pass or a short roll decision or just he read the game well. He, he, he passed the ball well. He wasn't turning it over that often, right? His turnover rate was only 12.3%. And my my feeling on that was strengthened in Summer League to the extent that anything can be strengthened in Summer League, right? His assists per game in Vegas was 3.3, which is more than I expected, quite frankly. Um, and he, they were they were giving him the ball. They were giving him chances to create. And I think it was the, Ma- the Mavs game, the Thunder game, whatever. Yes, it was the Thunder game. His passing looked phenomenal when they were allowing him to kind of explore his space as a pastor. Now, granted, the, the Thunder were going under on screens and defending him in a way that let him attack the paint, but he did really well in those settings. And his assist percentage, right, the percentage of the Pacers' assists when he was in the game was 15.6%. Like, almost one-fifth of the Pacers' assists were him when he was out there, right? Like, he was actively distributing and was a part of their offense. Shout-out to Real GM for Summer League stats, by the way. They're the best for that. So I think you saw why I, th- at least I think, he will be a passer of some level in the NBA. He will not be a non-passer. He will be able to not not just like routinely swing it or like like pass it to the next guy that the play calls for. Like he will be able to catch and know where the ball should go from a read and react or catch and throw somebody open. Right. I think he's got that level of basketball IQ and 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 skill. And I think that is going to be fascinating to see what that means for this what this question is asking. His actual role in the offense, right? Because in summer league, 
some of these just come from stuff like he gets it at the top, there's a ghost screen from a guard, and then he sees how the defense reacts to that fake screen, and he would attack. Or he would actually come around a screen sometimes when he was playing point Jarris. Or when he was the five-man, his touches were short roll stuff, right? That's what you saw a lot at Houston is, especially with Marcus Sasser, who another NBA player was running point. Like that Sasser was the guy passing the ball. So Jarris's passes and creation opportunities were he caught it from someone else. And then he would be tasked with doing things. So if you look at the Pacers specifically, I see very few reasons. And I think Zach, I don't think you do either, but given your question where you just like Jarris Walker's creating on this possession, right? That, that was a summer league only thing, but I do, you know, they have Halliburton, they have Nemhard. Those guys can pass. Turner's gotten a little more creative with his passing. Obviously they're going to need a little more development from some of the guys. Bruce Brown can pass a little bit. Uh, certainly, you know, they're going to, they're going to be able to pass. So Jarris doesn't need to create a ton, but what he can do is be additive in a way that you saw uh, TJ McConnell. I don't know why I keep going back to guys that can pass. TJ McConnell can pass too. Um, so they have guys who can play make. The question is, what does that secondary creation look like? And what did that look like last year for them, right? To use Sabonis as an example, um, he was on the team, in fact, two years ago, right? They they ran all that, that handoff stuff through him. Like, I, did, I don't see Walker doing a ton of that. I don't think he did a ton of that in college, and he's a good screener. He's so bruising, right? Chad Buchanan talked about his linebacker-sized elbows or shoulders, excuse me. Like, I think he could be a really strong screener if they ask him to do it a lot, but I don't think they will. But to be that secondary short roll kind of guy, like making passes like Thad Young did at his best, they didn't really have anyone who did that a ton last year. Miles Turner definitely, again, improved in that way. I think he did okay. I think you every so often saw Jalen Smith Break out a nice pass in the short roll, but not something that they had used. They did that, not something they used a lot in their offense. They just didn't have guys who could do it. And I think Jarris can. So, what does that look like for the Pacers? I don't know. Is it something that's additive? Is it something new? Is it something they even try? Or do they just use their natural playmakers to naturally playmake? Like they were still a strong assist team last year, even without a ton of that secondary kind of creation. And I think I am selling them short. A little bit as a passing team. They were sixth in the NBA in assists per game. They moved it around pretty well. They get into their early offense. But how do that how does that what does that mean for Jarris Walker? Have I rambled for this long without actually answering the question? I think that most of his passing chances or just how they kind of maximize Walker offensively will be him being a second side guy, right? Like he'll set a screen and stay around the play so he can be a safety valve or He'll hang out in the dunker spot, and if he's cut off under the basket, he'll know where to swing it, or you know, all that. That is where I think he'll look the best on offense because I don't think he could be a spacer. I don't think he should be playing the five right away, especially if they want to develop him as more of this point four type. So it's figuring out how to blend all that together is going to be tricky. But that's kind of how I feel like he should be used offensively. Think Thad Young um, before his wrist injury, and what was that 2016-17? I'd let me double check that. Uh, pretty quickly, but that seems like kind of the br- blueprint. And Thad was on fire from three. People forget about that. Thad was on fire from three that year before he messed up the rest. Um, so he ended up at 38% for three that year. Granted, it was only on two attempts per game, so that number has to be higher. But Thad did a lot that year that was productive, and he was shooting well from, again, he shot well from three, had this wrist injury, and then he only took six threes the rest of the season. But that kind of year, it was Thad Young's kind of best quote-unquote year with the Pacers to me in terms of how they used him from the right times of spacing. His passing numbers were pretty good. His steal numbers were pretty good. His offensive rebound numbers were down, but he was still effective on that end of the floor. They His shots were down, but his touches were more productive. I think Walker's going to be a lot of high-quality touches kind of guy in offense where it's like, 
oh, he has the ball in a very productive situation because he set a good screen or because he's in the perfect spot on the second side or he like he's going to be such a quick decision maker because he's going to get the ball in a lot of really advantageous situations like Thad Young did in that year Thad Young's turn rate that year was pretty low his assist rate was solid enough right I think that is sort of the blueprint although again Thad making threes certainly helped his stats that year so I've rambled here a little bit but I've actually wanted to dive into what I think Walker's role will look like so Sabonis elbow handoff actions and stuff? No, I don't think Jairus Walker will do much of that. It's hard for me to think of a, a lineup where that makes a lot of sense for the Pacers. And the, and the thing is, the guy they would want to do that with is Walker and Buddy Heald, but they don't have any playing chemistry yet, right? So maybe that's something they explore as the season progresses, but I don't see that right away. But as for that, maximizing him offensively, I think some some good screen early action screen stuff. I think having him in the dunker spot ready to make decisions and dive under the basket when someone is attacking will be the most likely things you see him do. And he'll be around the ball often kind of as a safety valve or a secondary creation option just to be a threat because I don't think it makes any sense for him to be a spacer at all. I don't think it makes sense for him to be planted under the basket at all. He's too active to do any of that stuff. So figuring out how to plant that in with what they already do and the identity they already have, that is the next step for Rick Carlisle and this pitcher's team. Good question. And I've been thinking about Jairus a lot recently. So I had a lot to say there. Uh, Next, coming up, let's talk about the Pacers' chemistry and Tyrese Halliburton potentially creeping up into that all-NBA conversation before we get to that. Though, really want to quickly want to talk to you guys about Ibotta. Finally taking that summer vacation you've been planning but dreading buying all the necessities before you take off. Ugh, the worst. It's time to stop spending your hard-earned money without getting anything in return. Enter Ibotta, who give you the cash back you need on hundreds of grocery items, from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're buying. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop. You can get cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. That could cover the cost of a whole shopping trip or part of a flight you've been eyeing or a game you've been dying to go to or a fancy dinner you've been craving or Taylor Swift's coming Andy. There you go. Maybe that. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much. With Ibotta, you can get real cash back. You can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying it with the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store, download the free Ibotta app, and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T in the Google Player App Store and use that promo code LOCKED. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Locked On Magic, a team near the Pacers in the standings and crushing the headlines for donating to a political candidate under the Orlando Magic name. The NBA PA did not like that very much, and so the Magic are in the news. Very interesting. Philip Rossman Reich will have the latest on the Orlando Magic. I don't know if he's covered the topic I just said yet, but that is the biggest news in the NBA right now. So I wanted to bring it up. Um, let's move on. Talking about chemistry. Interesting question here. Um, I'm going to butcher this name. Graham Hase, Graham Haas, uh, at G-R-A-E-M-E-H-A-A-S-E. With the changes in player acquisitions and departures, and then in parentheses, James Johnson and O'Shea set, how has the team's chemistry been affected? Is chemistry something the Pacers front office is considering with thinking about potentially moving on from additional veterans, mainly healed? Good question, and something I've talked about uh, with George Hill and James Johnson. Right, They're not back with the team, and the reason they would be is this chemistry reason. Right, Last year, they were very highly regarded teammates just for locker room presence alone, and that is so important. And you can be like... It's really I think the more the more I get around NBA teams, 
the more I think, at least from my perspective, if you're subtractive in the locker room, it's very obvious. Like I think a lot, a lot, a lot of players are neutrals, but if you're additive, that's harder to to replace and isn't as clear sometimes until that voice is gone. And so we'll see what that means for the Pacers this year, but they definitely struck a good chord of team vibe last year from you know good constructive criticizers to you know good hype men to good bonding guys like they had it kind of all there and they all got along really well in a way that wasn't really present to me since 2017-18 not to say the teams after that didn't get along they had good chemistry in the following seasons they had pretty dang good chemistry for a, like a hot three four years there like I, I don't want to belittle that at all that was important to their success but you can see when that is kind of seeping away and I don't think the Pacers are going to be have low chemistry this coming year. In fact, I think their chemistry, as long as they have Tyrese Halburn, is going to be exceptional. He is very good at bringing people together. He's very good at reading a room. He's very good at sending a message. He's very good at bonding his teammates. So to the extent of what their team is right now, I think their chemistry is still phenomenal. And I think that Brissett is a great chemistry guy. He is one of those guys that, if he's playing or not, he's a great hype man off the bench. He's great in the locker room. He was close with Tyrese, but he got a better offer somewhere else. James Johnson was great for everybody on the team, but it makes sense why he wasn't prioritized given the state of the Pacers roster. George Hill, obviously a midseason acquisition, still no room for him either. So I get why none of them are on the team. And I do get how that could hurt the locker room, which is something I have talked about. But if they're going to be the team they want to be, other guys are going to have to step up in that realm at some point anyway, whether that's Hal Burton, whether that's TJ McConnell being now the vet, basically, whether that's some other young guy stepping up you know, whether that's a new acquisition, Bruce Brown using his experience in the Nuggets championship locker room to say, hey, I, I have a thing or two to say here that could be valuable. I don't know who the vets are going to be, but I do think there'll be a, a, maybe a different dynamic just without some of the guys they lost. But I don't think their chemistry specifically will be any worse so long as they have Halberton as a leader. He is just excellent, excellent, excellent in those settings. And that's extremely significant to the team. As for considering it in moves, absolutely. Team, I think every team considers chemistry and moves at, to some level. Like, look at the reaction to the Marcus Smart trade. You know, and I, I get the Celtics are doing what's best for them, but, I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, maybe the Celtics are just as good on paper. Maybe better. Porzingis was great last year. But, man, did they give up a lot in terms of chemistry and just the heart of the team kind of stuff. Like, is that worth it? Because that is so valuable to have a guy like that on your team, on your roster, who can elevate everybody in those off-court settings. So I think the Pacers absolutely consider it uh, in every situation, even though Brissett and Halburn were close. It's not like they ignored that when he signed with the Celtics. As what it means for Heald, yeah, he is very close with Halburn. Halburn has said he understands Buddy Heald better than anybody in the league. And then you hear Kevin Pritchard at his end-of-season press conference saying, you know, we've got to find the role that makes sense for Heald if we're going to extend him and all this stuff, right, that makes sense for him to say and consider. So, of course, the team's going to talk. They, they, they said that Tyrese Halburn's a partner with the franchise. Like, of course, they're talking about all of this stuff, right? Even though he's close with Halburn and he's close to everybody on the team and Buddy Hill's a delight to be around most of the time, of course they think about what losing him would mean to their chemistry. I don't know how much it would hurt the team's chemistry at all, to be clear. I'm not around all the time. But to me, of course, it's something that's thought about. Of course, it all matters, right? It's important when you have or don't have those guys and the time that you do or don't have them from your team building perspective. But big picture, I think as long as Tyrese Halburn's on the Pacers roster, their chemistry is going to be very good and other guys might have to step up as this team evolves from what they are now to what they want to be. Third question today 
from at Chase Hoops underscore, whose name is just Chase with spaces on Twitter. Do you think Tyrese could make an all-NBA team jump this year with likelihood of him being more aggressive scoring now that he has the max extension? Good question. And perfect because this question came before yesterday's show when I talked about that being something I consider to be one of the next steps for Tyrese Halburn is being that more aggressive kind of player on the offensive end, right? Upping his shot count to somewhere closer to like 17. That's not even that much higher, but just a little more, a few more. He's good at scoring. He's efficient. Take a few more shots. Can he get into the all-NBA mix? So there's something interesting about this. The first thing I did when I read this question, just to prep and have the right tabs open, was Google the all-NBA teams from last year, right? And you look at the guards, Shea, Luca, Steph, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Dame, Fox. That's a crew that's all above him last year, right? No doubt about it. Catching those guys will be hard. And then I was like, oh, yeah, duh. There's no more positions for All-NBA. So that doesn't matter. Throw that out, right? Who's the 15th best player who made All-NBA last year? Uh, Julius Randle, Sabonis probably would be the two guys that you'd consider the 15th men on All-NBA. And now that it's positionless, can Tyrese Halliburton reach like that level of player? That's a good question. That's a quite. That's hard, right? Like this is still very good players. Sabonis was fantastic last year. Randle was also fantastic last year. That's a hard range to get into. That said, at his best, I thought Halliburton was in the All-NBA mix last year <laughs> when he was playing. Maybe that's just because I watched all of his games more than once, and I did not watch most other players' games more than once. But he already is that level of offensive talent. Like He was probably one of the best 10 to 15 offensive players in the league. His defense, of course, leaves something to be desired. But I think he can definitely get into the top 15 player in the league discussion because that's what All-NBA is now, right, by default. That if there's no positions, it is no longer relevant if you what you play it's just are you one of the best 15 players in the nba so a lot of the top 15 is going to be the same right for example i mean i'm just going to sort by bpm on basketball reference and read some names Jokic, Embiid, Doncic, butler antetokounmpo steph sga kevin durant dame lillard anthony davis lebron james and donovan mitchell that is 12 names so Halliburton, can he be as good as any of those guys next year maybe the back end of that group you know, he certainly was close at times last year, but that's hard. Those guys have done it for years and have done it over full seasons. Halbert only played 56 games. And I didn't even, the names I just did not say, for example, like Sabonis, Kawhi, um, John Morant, Jason Tatum, we're still, we've now climbed over 15 players, right? Uh, Brunson, Markkanen, Randall. Um, the, the, I could go on and on. There's tons, Siakam. I mean, Paul George. I haven't even said yet. Like, there's tons of good players in the NBA. You got, and now you got to be among the top 15. Guard was the hardest before, so I think he's got a better shot now than he did. Well, for maybe forward was. Um, guard was this one among the hardest positions before. I think now it'll be a little easier in general for him to make it. But he's got to be just one of the best 15 players in the NBA now, and I think he's probably closer to like 25, so it will take some sort of skill development, and I think you already nailed it in the question, right? It's going to be taking more shots, being more of a scoring type. If you can have the true shooting percentage he has on the shots, he takes 62.4% true shooting. Now, granted, every star player, right, of the names I just said, uh, only LeBron and John Morant had under 60% true shooting because stars are efficient. That's part of why they're stars. But also a lot of them have more shot attempts than Halliburton per game. In fact, almost all of them do. So he's got to up that a little bit or at least have more volume in general. And I know he thinks about pass first all the time, and that's great. And getting his teammates involved and being a brilliant passer is part of his what makes him such a good player. But also 
He's super efficient. <laughs> he knows it. He's even said, sometimes not shooting makes me selfish. I think he knows it. I think if he ups the shots volume a little bit, he can get close to this back end of all NBA range, which is like your Donovan Mitchell, LeBron, Sabonis range from last year, but uh, Julius Randle. But that's still tough. That's still a tough group to crack into. We'll see if Halliburton can actually make it next year. But everybody who listens knows I'm quite high on him and think at some point in his career that, yes, he will be among the all-NBA groups. And it is massively important for next year because, like you said, in the question, he has a max extension, and he only can get the $260 million if he makes all-NBA next year. So him getting into that top 15 is critical for his contract and career earnings, right? That's big for him to try to do so. So we'll see what that means for him next year. There'll be all these guys, and like Anthony Edwards is going to be coming for similar reasons. If he makes All-NBA, he gets more money, right? There'll be a lot of guys trying to push as high as they can. I think Halberton can get to the top 15. I think he has the skills that make that possible for him. At some point of his career, will it be next year? Maybe. I mean, maybe so. It might also require the Pacers winning some more games. We'll see three more questions to go, and they all come from the same man. It's A.J. Reese time, who always has lots of good questions. We'll use his to close out today's show, including stuff on Buddy Heald's market, jerseys, the Mad Ants, and more. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Check out Lockdown Women's Basketball, Diana Tarasi, the GOAT, maybe, of women's basketball. I still think it may be Tamika. We'll see. Um, crosses 10,000 points last night, first player in W history to do so. Sick to watch that. Mercury played awesome. Uh, and Lockdown Women's Basketball have more on Tarasi breaking the record of the WNBA. Let's keep going on the Pacers here. Buddy uh, AJ Reese asks four-parter uh, at the AJ Reese on Twitter. First one, how much do you think Buddy Heald gets on the open market? And I actually uh, stupidly was thinking about this in a tra- from a trade perspective at first before free agency, but thankfully I have answers for both. Um, so this is a good question, right? I, I There was a lot of chatter. During the life of his current deal, which was four for ninety-four, I believe. Nah, that doesn't something like that, with some incentives involved and it's descending and stuff like that. Um, during his contract, about him being overpaid, and with the Kings, he probably was. In fact, with the Kings, he almost certainly was. You know, he he wasn't as good of a player as he was this past season for the Pacers. The salary cap was lower. L- lots of reasons. This past season, <laughs> nah, that that kind of not be, that did not remain the case. Right? I think he's probably about properly compensated right now. His defense is still not very good. There's a lot of questions about what he can be as a playoff player because he's never been there. But he is certainly much better now than he was then. Right, He's improved from inside the arc. Right, His field goal percentage, just every shot from the field. Last year, a career high. His two-point percentage was over 50% for the first time. He's great from the foul line. His rebounding was at a career level last year for the Pacers. His assists was at a second best of his career level. His steals were at a career best level. I have just read bunches of stats, but if you watched him for the Pacers and you watched him for the Kings, you can just see it. His activity's better. His role makes sense for him. He's playing well. It just is clicking, right? He's playing the best ball of his career. So what does that mean for his salary and what it should be on the open market? Good question, right? These pure shooter types are really weird. It's hard to kind of compare them. Like you look through free agency this year and like Kuzma is a more well-rounded offensive player. I just picked him as an offensive guy who has little defensive skills or less defensive skills or isn't known for his defense, right? He'll had good moments of defense last year, despite almost certainly being a negative. In fact, saying he had good moments, you know, is, is more of an effort thing. He had some games where it went well, but 
I w- he's a negative on defense. Like there's no sugarcoating it. It's a big problem for him. It was a big problem for the Pacers that he can't defend. Their defensive rating with him on the floor was quite frankly atrocious. But but an excellent shooter, a knockdown offensive player. Kuzma can really score and is not a good uh, defensive player. He got $22.5 million per year. He's also 28, right? We have to keep ages in mind as we do this. Dylan Brooks is a wing type, uh, 27.4 years old. He got $21.5 million per year this summer. D'Angelo Russell is a one-way player. He got $18 million per year this summer uh, to be an offensive kind of guy. Karis LeVert got $16 million per year, right? The one-way guys did about that. And then there's this range of like Herb Jones, Austin Reeves, Max Struess, who probably, Reeves is probably a better player. Actually, no, Reeves is definitely a better player than Buddy right now, uh, but he had a restricted free agency limitations. But Struess is probably a little worse than Buddy right now, at least from a regular season perspective. He was great in the playoffs, and he got $16 million, uh, or excuse me, he got $15.57 million per year. But none of those guys kind of fit what I was looking for to do this research project, like the pure shooter type. So I went to find a few. Lowry Markinen, not a pure shooter type when he actually was a free agent, despite being thought of that a little more now. Uh, but he did shoot. He was thought of as a shooter when he came to the NBA. And then the year before free agency, uh, he got 40. Oh, he went over 40% from three. Uh, and then he got $16 million per year. He was also 24 years old and was a former lottery pick, which is relevant to his contract. But he got $16 million a year at age 24. Duncan Robinson... This is maybe the best like skill comp, although he doesn't have as many ball skills as Heald. I, I feel like I've almost talked down too much about Heald's skills. Like He's a better offensive player than a lot of the players I've said, but his defense is not very good. He's, he's probably better than Duncan Robinson. But after Duncan Robinson's insane best season of his career, 44.6% from deep, was ridiculous in the playoffs that year, right? 20, summer of 21, uh, the, uh, coming up the next year, he gets 18 mil a year. He gets 18 mil a year at age 26. Age, these are relevant, the, the ages. Doug McDermott, fresh off his Pacers season, where he couldn't miss, got priced, literally priced out of the Pacers because of the luxury tax. At age 29, he got $14 million a year. So I think Heald's probably better than two of those three guys right? Uh, were when they were free agents right now. Um, maybe, maybe Duncan Robinson you could think of as better. So they were also all in their 20s and had room to grow from an age perspective. Heald... Turns 31 in December, right? So next summer he'll be 31, and in his age age 32 year of his career and life, what does that mean for his earnings? Well, teams just won't see as much upside and be willing to potentially bid on that upside. So all these data points together, where the only 20 million dollar player I've mentioned so far is Kyle Kuzma, who is a forward, right? Just by default has size, is only 27 right now, and is on a team that was very much behooved to keep him because of his bird rights. I would say Buddy Heald's value is somewhere between like 18 and 20 million per year, maybe a little lower depending on what this coming season looks like for him. But you know, he had a—he's certainly a more valuable player to me than Karis LeVert, who just got 16 million per year as a one-way player. Right? He's better than Struess, uh, who just got 15.5 million per year. To me, I would hear arguments that Struess is better. Struess can defend and is a decent shooter, but there's a big difference between being a 37% shooter and a 42.5% shooter, right? A big difference, especially in how you're covered. So to me, I would say like low-end starter to high-end backup money, 18 to $20 million for Heald would be my estimate. That said, if I'm Buddy Heald, there are some specific things I want this season <laughs> if I'm him. Um, and maybe being with the Pacers is fine. If he loves being on the Pacers and the opportunity he has, maybe that's it. But there's a, if he is a guy who's being considered as a trade candidate because of his contract expiring 
at the end of this coming season. If I'm him, I want to go to a team that uh, is way over the cap <laughs> and has no way of keeping me if uh, they do not pony up and use my bird rights to keep me. So he would like, to, I think, if you're Buddy Hield, ending up on an expensive team that's far from the apron sounds very nice. <laughs> so they are incentivized to keep him a team with a bunch of cap room or a team with more flexibility. Maybe not as attractive to him. We'll see. But that is about what I think his market could be, and he could get more in the right situation. Two from AJ. When do teams usually release the City Edition uniforms? Uh, I had not thought about this at all, um, but eh, usually a much closer to the season. Uh, I don't I don't think any teams even get to announce theirs before like training camp, but some of them do right before media day just because you're going to see them then at that time. Uh, to look, I just Googled the Pacers announcement for their last year uh, city edition uniform, the black ones with like the trim, the construction themed ones, and there's actually no date on when this was uh, um, officially announced. Uh, it looks like early November, though, was when... Okay, yes, that is correct. November 10th. So a little bit into the season, actually. So some teams do a little earlier because it gets spoiled on media day. And some teams get like the statement edition because they made the playoffs. So sometimes that one comes out earlier, too. But uh, a little ways into the season it, it is about usually when this happens. The 2021 Pacers City edition uniforms, the pinstripes. <laughs> Um, oh no, 2021 was the Flojo, wasn't it? And the Pinstripes was the year before. This is there's too many there's too many jerseys. I don't want to rant too much, but there's too many jerseys. Uh, that one came out before the season. That was November 2nd. No, that was in season. I'm I'm doing a terrible job with dates. That one was November 2nd. So what I'm seeing here is early November seems to be a trend. But remember, the season starts a little later this year, so maybe it's a little closer to Thanksgiving. We'll see. Three best idea for the new Mad Ants name. <laughs> That's a funny one. I don't know. I've thought about this. And I actually laughed at the first time I thought about it because I hate that the G League did this. They had these cool names like the main Red Claws was sick and the Sky Force is sick. Madness is a cool name. Um, they had all these cool names. And they've gotten way less cool as they've become more attached, like brand synergy to their NBA team. Like the main Red Claws is the main Celtics now. That's boring. Um, the Skyhawks are just the Hawks. Blech. You know, Leon, it's boring. Um, but... The fun, first thing that came to my head was, well, Oklahoma City, the Thunder, their G League team is the blue, the OKC blue. And the uh, I, I think it's the Pistons, although I could be wrong because there was the juggling of the Pistons G League team going to the Suns and back and whatever. Uh, the Grand Rapids gold exists as well. So the first two names I thought of were the blue and the gold because of the Pacers being the blue and gold. And they're both taken. <laughs> so they can't be the blue and they can't be the gold. Someone suggested to JMV once I read on Twitter, he, he replied to it, something about Slick Leonard's name, calling them the Slicks. And I thought that was awesome. Uh, I have no idea if that's something the Pacers would actually consider, but that would be sweet to me. That's a good homage and a cool name. Uh, so the Slicks would be cool or something to that to that effect. Uh, but I actually don't really know. <laughs> it's kind of hard. Uh, Noblesville doesn't have a ton of like easy to – like the Millers for Reggie makes sense. Noblesville's high school is the Millers. I guess that could be something as well. Uh, but it's kind of hard with the blue and the gold taken and – you know, Mad Ant is named after Mad Anthony Wayne, a general who was stationed in Fort Wayne. That they're not in Fort Wayne anymore. They're obviously they already said they're changing the name. Uh, if they are the Noblesville Pacers, I will personally riot. <laughs> I think that's super lame, even though I think that's possibly on the table. The last one from AJ. Any advice for his interview tomorrow? Ooh, well, I actually feel bad because I'm actually answering this one after the interview happened. AJ, I hope you uh, acted like yourself and were very prepared. I think that is. Uh, the key parts of this and 
Uh, I don't know that I'm the best at interviews, um, but I would say as long as you're prepared and uh, you have the appropriate skills, I think it's more about proving that you interact well with people and fit into a culture than any specific answer you give in an interview. I think that is generally what I would say is crucial in interview settings. And just be prepared and have your own questions. Always have your own questions. Uh, that would be my interview advice. My other interview advice is uh, if you're giving an interview, if you're an interviewer, I've thought about that. Now you're getting Tony thoughts off the cuff. I think like formal conference room interviews just suck. Like it's so unnatural. It's not a good way to get to know a person. It's just a Q&A. How does that prove if you can fit in with a company? Like take someone out to lunch, like walk around, <laughs> go outside. I don't know. Do something more informal. That's a better way to get to know someone while still talking about their resume and their skills. Anyway, I don't work in HR and this is a Pacers podcast. Don't listen to anything I have to say, but everyone go tell AJ good luck on his interview or congratulate him on an interview well done if he's willing to talk about it. Uh, next Monday, like I said, next show will be about uh, all about Oscar Sheeway because he's going to join the show. Fun interview. We talked for about 18 minutes on the phone. Uh, I'll have to dig it up for the exact timing, obviously, but looking forward to that. Fun conversation. Got into a lot more about his background, how Bismack Biombo really helped him get into the NBA. Didn't know anything about that. Uh, his summer league timing, what he likes about his rebounding, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we'll also talk about the 2013 Conference Finals next week. It's been 10 years. 10 years since Beat the Heat. Crazy. And uh, another surprise topic that we'll start talking about next week. So lots of fun stuff coming. Hope you all enjoyed today's show and these two mailbag episodes. The next one of these will probably be right before the season. Always look forward to these and hearing what you guys want to hear. Hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. We'll see you soon.